Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Blaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. Real, family-friendly, and positive. So get involved. Get involved. Now, welcome to Season 2, Episode 11. Uh, Things are trucking on very nicely this season, and we've got some great rugby games to talk about this weekend. Um, I'm your host, Mitch Foster, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ando Anderson. Ando, how are you this week? Right now, I have been a lot better. Uh, we've we've had a gastro bug rip through our family, and I'm the oh. last one to be recovering from it. So, oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, that's why we're one night delayed, because I probably would have been pausing the pod to go to the bucket uh, if we were doing it last night. But right now, happy, somewhat healthy, and very keen to talk rugby. Very, very good. So uh, we will try and keep this one a bit shorter, shorter and sharp for everyone out there. Ando's not feeling the best, so we'll try and just keep this <laughs> nice and quick and get through. But in saying that, we had two awesome games of rugby this weekend. So I guess we'll try and keep it as short as we can, but we'll see how we get. So much. So much good stuff to talk about. Two great games for very different reasons. That's right. And uh, yeah, very excited. So our social platforms you can hit us up on, hit us up at Instagram, hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby, Facebook at the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast, and then Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Awesome. Definitely get out there and give us a like or a follow or just give us a message. Tell us what you thought of anything particular in any game. We'd love to hear from you. All right, the Super Brew Yellow Cap for our tipping competition. I still refuse to publicly name where I am on the ladder, but I would like to shout out to Davo and Liquorbox. You get the yellow cap. So the uh, closest picks and the margins for this week. Well done, gentlemen. Well done. These Both of these guys did really well this week. They were split. Like the points were split between both of them. They both yep. got um, both games comp- right with a bonus point and a match point. So... They knew what was happening this week. They wish um, I was probably listening to whatever they were saying because I'm way down the bottom and I wish I was a lot higher. <laughs> I'm just glad we don't place bets on what we what we predict. That's, that's, that's a good thing. That's right. We are family friendly. We keep our money in our pockets. <laughs> in our pockets. In our pockets. Uh, so what we're going to do tonight. So there's not too much news to talk about this week. So we're going to just skip that. Um, one or two points did come up and we will try and cover those when we get to it in the, the game review. So we will mention those things. So don't worry too much. But apart from that, we don't need a whole segment based on just two little points. Um, so we'll do round four review first up. Then we'll go to our locker room and answer some of your juicy questions. And then we'll move to our round five preview. How does that all sound? Ando? have I forgotten anything? Nah, we're all on it. So I think we just jump into the round four review. Let's go. All right. And the Super Rugby AU round kicked off with the Western Force versus the Melbourne Rebels over at HBF Park in Perth. And it was a pretty intriguing game overall. In in the end, the Force ended up losing closely 10-7 or 7-10 to the Rebels. So before we get into our discussion of the match and some of the questions that have arisen from that game, Mitch is going to go through some of the key stats so we get a bit of an overview and picture of how the match played out. 
Yeah, so this game was quite tight in a lot of aspects. So if you look at possession, it was 51% to the Rebels and 49% to the Western Force. Um, two tries scored by the Rebels, one try to the Western Force. Uh, the most interesting stat for me out of all of this was the <laughs> run meters. So the Western Force had 371 meters made, um, but the Rebels had 501. So when you look at the game overall, it does look very similar in a lot of areas, but those run meters were one thing that really stuck out that was probably the big difference. We had 13 clean breaks from the Western Force, 15 from the Rebels, um, 18 defenders beaten by the Force, 14 by the Rebels, nine offloads to the Force, eight offloads to the Rebels. So in a lot of those key areas, it was very, very similar. But in that one area of how many meters they actually made, the Force were just not quite as effective of getting those meters sort of post-contact that the Rebels were um, able to chalk up. All right. Well, the thing that comes from this game is this really, really simple question. Did the Rebels actually win this game or did the Force lose it? Because there's a lot that can be said around some of the decisions that were made by the Force late in the game. But also, just this game didn't really play out the way that many of us were expecting it to. Um, the fact that the Rebels had a 0% kick percentage was surprising. Uh, nobody would have expected them prior to the game to score all their points from tries and none of them from kicks. Well, it was interesting because um, Matt Turner did have a few shots at goal and he just seemed to be off this week. Yep, um, just shanked him. And you can't say that they didn't try because their first few visits to the opposition half, they did get those penalties and they did take them. They just weren't, for whatever reason, Tamur wasn't accurate. So they had to result, they had to go for the try to get the points. Um, in some ways, I guess that shows that this Rebels team is capable of actually scoring points away from the post. That a lot of that's what we've been talking about in the last few weeks. That is this team capable of scoring tries? Yes, yes, they are. They scored two, they got two tries awarded. They scored one and got one. Um, they scored an extra one that was disallowed. So they crossed the line three times. Um, and I think that goes to show that, yes, they can score tries. Yeah. And from the outset, you could see that the game that the Rebels were bringing was very different to what they had played previously against the Brumbies and the Reds. They were far more expansive in the style of play that they were trying to put out there. Definitely trying to use more of the width of the field than what we'd seen previously. And whilst they were still trying to take the points on offer, like you mentioned, that just wasn't happening. So it forced them to look at other avenues and their attack clicked a lot more this week than what we've seen previously, backline attack particularly. Uh, but what was what was your takeaway regarding the force? I mean, did, did the force actually lose it in your opinion? I mean, if we look at the game as a whole, I'd say the force did very well to, to stay with the Rebels. There wasn't really any point that the Rebels uh, got away from the force. If we look at the final score, 10-7, it sounds like a very, very close game. But if we look at the final sort of probably five or six minutes of the game, in my opinion, I thought that the Western Force were in the driving seat and they had three or four opportunities to really seal the game, to take points that were on offer, and they either made the wrong decision or they made a massive error. So three of those times they had a penalty where they could have potentially taken points and kicked for goal, still with enough points on uh, enough minutes on the clock to, like we saw in the Reds game, get back down there and potentially um, get a, another, some more points and, and get the win because if they took those early ones, they'd only be leveling the scores. But then at the very final final sort of play of the game, they got a, a full-arm penalty. They took the scrum and then gave the penalty back to the Rebels by um, the front rower collapsing. So that was the perfect time for them to score and steal the game. And they, again, gave the the victory back to the Rebels. So for me, yes, I feel like that game was there for the taking from the force and they weren't able to clinch it. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a hard one because you, you can't ever really fault the effort of the force. They, you know that they are going to bring a fully committed effort every single week when they when they play, particularly amongst the front, uh, the the forward pack. You've got players like Kankateka and Fergus Lee Warner who are just absolute workhorses and are really standing up this season and also last and showing what they're capable of on the Super Rugby stage. But there also seems to be this level of, um, which I guess isn't surprising considering the nature of the team and how many new players they've brought in this season, but just some of the connection and some of the decision-making that uh, they put forward at times just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, like you said, they could have easily taken the points in the last few minutes of the game, received the ball back, and then had another opportunity to get ahead or take it into extra time and win the game from there. So the fact that they were pushing for the win early, I mean, I admire the resolve, but overall their set piece hadn't been overly strong. They had already lost a, a scrum against the feed as well. They had missed three of their lineouts out of 18, admittedly, so that's 83%. But really, each team wants to be 90% plus for their lineouts. It just, they seem to lack that element of experience together as a team to be making the right decisions under pressure. Yeah, and that's something that we have been talking about a lot this year, that this really is an international barbarian side, that a lot of these players have come together with little to no preparation and no game time together. So they really, they don't have those combinations established yet. But this is their third game or fourth game. Have they had a bye yet? Yeah, they had a bye round two. Okay, yeah. So this is their third game in the competition now. Things are starting, and this was the game that we saw the combinations were starting to click and things were starting to get... to to form together, but there's still some questions around uh, choices of players that they're choosing to start. Like for me personally, Jake McIntyre isn't bringing a whole lot in that 10 Jersey. And I really wonder why he's getting the nod over. um, Oh, I've just had my, my brain. (laughs) John O'Lance, the guy that we interviewed for the, that's your weekly brain fart, mate. That's my weekly brain fart. It's because I've got the lists up in front of me and I started scanning down (laughs) to the replacements. Like John O'Lance isn't even making the reserve bench. So yep. he's he must there must be something going on there. Either he's out of favor with the coaches, or he's just not um, bringing something that they want to the game plan. But for me personally, Jake McIntyre had a lot of opportunities in this game to really um, cement that position, to really make some some emphasis in that in that role, and he didn't quite do it for me. That we we mentioned before around them in that last sort of ten five, 10 minutes period of chasing the game, needing to convert their points when they were on offer. He he had a perfect example where they had a full-on penalty. He was kicking for the line and he kicked it dead. Now you could see that he was dirty with himself because as he's walking away, he took his mouth gut out and threw it over the sideline. But at the same time, like at this level, that is not good enough. You can't be making those mistakes. Um, yeah. And it really came back to bite the force on the butt. Yeah, when you look back at that um, 40... So, you know the three minutes of extra time in the first half where the force are really pushing for a rolling mall on a try line um, yeah. to score the first points of the game for them. They That's just one area where they didn't convert, right? But the thing that I found really, really fascinating with McIntyre is that there's so many times where he he just made a couple of basic errors like missing kick for touch passing the ball behind the player I had a couple of knock-ons as well oh sorry my point about the force in the 43rd minute I totally had a blank my <laughs> point there was that there was a stat that came up during a game say 
59% of the time when the force get into the opposition 22, they don't come away with points. That's bad. That is really, really poor. And even if you're not coming away with a try, okay, you've got to come away with a penalty with a shot at goal. And so there's that point. And then my point with McIntyre was, yeah, he wasn't great for large parts of the game, but for their one try that they did get, the McGregor try out on the uh, left left wing, um, that was a really, really good piece of attack where the Rebels tried to do a rush umbrella defense to cut off the um, force back line. And so Hodge and the outside backs rush up, but Ross Hale at Petty, maybe because it's his first week or first or second week back in a team, maybe because he doesn't have that connection. He's number four out, out on the inside of the number 12. He loses connection with Hodge and there's this massive gap that McIntyre accelerates into and then passes out wide for the eventual score. So he did do that really well, have the, the pace to accelerate into that gap that was offered in front of him. But uh, if that doesn't, if that one moment doesn't come up during the game, he's probably like a four out of 10 yeah. performance for me. Yeah, definitely. Now, if we flip the coin a little bit, I was really impressed with the Melbourne Rebels that this is their first victory. This is the first time they've crossed the, the white line and got a try in Super Rugby this year. Um, well done to them. They've done really well. But as you said previously, Ando, this was a different game plan to we've seen in the last mm. um, two or three weeks from this team. And that is what's really impressed me with Dave Vessels is this year he's actually being able to cater the game plan to the team that he's playing and the team yep. aren't doing the same thing every single week. And I think that is something that in Australian rugby particularly, we don't see a lot of um, changes or nuance when teams come up against different oppositions. They don't always change their game plan to suit who they're playing. They sort of focus on their, their very insular and focus on their own thing and say, well, we'll do what we do well, and that should be enough to beat the opposition. Where I'm really impressed with the Rebels that they're actually – being outward focused and focusing on the Western force or all the Brumbies or the Reds or whoever they're playing and actually catering their game plan to best counteract the game plan of those other teams. Um, and it, it goes to show with the results. I mean, this was their first victory, but they came very close to the Rebels. They came very, cl- uh, they came very close to the Reds and they came very close to the Brumbies. Yeah, I actually don't know if I would say this is a particularly good performance from the Rebels, just in my perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually thought it was probably the weaker of their three games so far in that they just at times struggled. To, well, like we mentioned before, they struggled to convert opportunities and to take the penalties that were on offer. Um, and although like Hansen dropped the ball as he's kind of trying to put it over the line, um, I think there were one or two other try scoring opportunities that were missed. They, they did definitely try and play with more um, attacking intent than previously I just didn't I'm just not convinced they executed it particularly well and honestly if the Rebels are getting so close to the Reds and the Brumbies they should be beating the force by more even though they're playing away and maybe we can excuse them by saying this is the third game on the road they've had a disrupted season already with having to flee Victoria whilst it goes into lockdown um, and they've basically lived out of home now for four four weeks mm-hmm. that there are there are things to kind of mitigate this match so maybe they just we should just be happy for them for this win I just didn't think it was actually as good as their previous two games yeah and def it wasn't as good as their previous two games but um, their game plan in the previous two games was get into the opposition's half and take the points when they're on offer. Now, they did mm. start that game plan in this game, 
But for whatever reason, Matt Tamil was off. He wasn't able to convert those penalties. I think he had two shots and he missed. So it was good to see that they were able to adjust that on the fly and say, okay, Maddie's off tonight. We're not going to get all our points from the boot. We're going to have to go wide. And they did that. And they did that effectively. They got the try in the first half. They got another one in the second half. So um, they adjusted on the fly. And that's something we I haven't seen like if we look at the Waratahs they're particularly, and I don't want to bring everything back to the Waratahs, but I just wanted to say <laughs> that they're a team for the last few years that is very, uh, finds it challenging to adjust to a game plan. Once they're out on the field, they can, when they come back from halftime, they're able to sort of change things a little bit, but they're not able to make those changes on the fly. So I think we yeah. need to be um, a bit, I'm, I was happy with the Melbourne Rebels. I was happy that they got their, their win as well. But I think the other point too, is that the Western Force were up for this game because of the history that comes from it. They're playing again. They're playing mm. the Melbourne Rebels at home for the first time in four years. Um, Melbourne Rebels were the team that got kept, stayed in the competition. Yes, they got their their win away from home last week against the Waratahs, but this is probably the game that they thought for the year. This is the victory that we want to get. We really want to stick it to these Melbourne guys, and they're probably really, really filthy at themselves that they weren't able to convert it in that last few minutes. I hear that. Should we shift across now to our honourable mentions? Yeah. So who did you, who was your honourable mention for this game? Look, I was going to say James Hansen um, because I think he's brought a lot of steel into that hooker position. Um, he's playing so well that they're not even bringing Ed Craig on uh, and that's for the just last like, two games. He's playing unf- full 80 minutes. It's unfathomable. I mean, Ed Craig. <laughs> I can't believe next, why you would do that. Wall, yeah. The next Wallabies hook is sitting on the bench ready to go and he's just not getting the game time. Just not getting the game time. Um, but it just shows what a good job Hansen <laughs> is doing. But the player that, as I was saying that, I realised I just, you can't look away from Marika Korobete. Yeah. He had, what was it, 14 runs for 134 metres made, five clean breaks, six defenders beaten and three offloads. That is... It's just incredible. He's playing so remarkably well. Um, the last few games, he's been the best player on the field out of both teams. He is just an absolute weapon, and I can't wait to see him line up in Wallaby's gold later in the year. For the last time. I know. I know. But let's enjoy Mossy's there. Yes, definitely. No, I was... Um, yeah, I, I think that's one thing that, that's been really good seeing this year for Corabete's game is that he's going looking for the ball and he's getting himself yeah, involved yeah. a lot more. He's The back line still isn't able to get the ball to him as much as he would like, but it's great to see that he's taking the initiative to get off his wing and go searching for it in the midfield and he's popping up all over the place and it, it's really helping the Rebels. So it's great to see that um, the Rebels team's allowing him to do that and just say, yeah. have a free reign, do what you want because you're just an absolute freak with the ball. Um, my personal... Are we calling it shout out or honorable mention for this? Honorable game mention is going to Lockie Anderson on the wing. Um, I've just been really impressed with this guy. First of all, he got the first try for the Melbourne Rebels. That you know the 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 monkeys off the back. They've got that try now. They are <laughs> welcome to Super Rugby AU. You're now um, part one of the big boys. Tries. Yeah, that's yep. right. Everyone's happy with that. But just the fact that he this is his first year of playing 15s and he's made that transition really well really smoothly and we were talking up um Tim Ancy last week for his performance against the Waratahs I'm I need to talk up Lockie Anderson this week and I just think it's such a great um pathway now that we've got the sevens players in the current covid climate they're not able to get as much game time for the sevens team but the fact that they're now playing super rugby 
and doing really well, it's great to see that there is that pathway again. In the past, it's always been players sort of going from Super Rugby over to sevens when it, when the Olympics sort of comes around. But now it's really, really promising to see the other other pathway as well. So, yeah, I've got to, got to say I'm really, really impressed with Lockie Anderson out there on the wing. Very well done. I think the final thing we'll probably jump touch on is the Ross Hale at Petty three weeks. Now, I was looking back at this uh, just just before the pod, and I would agree that it is a red card on the field. Yep. He he starts somewhat low, but even then is still angling up into the tackle. It is direct contact to the head. So with everything we're seeing, it is a red card. And I don't think you can really argue with that, yep. um, despite his tall frame inconveniencing him about it makes it harder for him to get low the thing that you were questioning the three weeks i mean i'll just say that the three weeks is in line with all the other types of um, bands that we've seen for similar tackles do you disagree or do you agree with the three weeks no i disagree completely now i don't disagree with the red card i think we look at the game um, and how it played out it was very similar to alan alatoa's red card from last week so the refs have no their hands are tied there. They have to give a red card. The precedent has been set from previous weeks. So no issue there. But in such a short competition as Super Rugby AU, 10 weeks, each team only plays eight games. If these guys have done, yes, we can agree, they have done the wrong thing. They've dished out um, a high tackle at, at the higher end of the scale, which is given the red card. But really, is their intent there? And that's the thing for me. I don't think these guys deserve to be sitting out from the competition for three whole weeks for a bit of a mind mind snap. Yes, they deserve the red cards, but they've served their time. Alan Toa last week is out um, for the rest of that game. Ross Halep doesn't play any more from this game. I think that's that's justice enough. The fact that these teams now lose their players for three weeks, which is nearly half of the competition for, yep. for a, a tackle that isn't, it, it's just poor timing. It's poor technique, yep. poor timing. It's not intentional. Now, Isaiah Parisi's red card. Yes, I agree that he needs some time on the sidelines. There was no need for that. That was reckless and that was silly. But these other guys, I just, I don't know how we can justify sitting these top players out of the competition for so long, particularly when the competition itself is so short. Yeah, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. So I think we're, we're in agreement that yes, red card on the field, but perhaps a suspension of one to two weeks instead of three, which when you take into account the buy is essentially half the competition. Uh, but, do, so, but do they need to, do they need to have a suspension? Um, that's my I question. Know, that's probably something that a referee would answer for us. Like, like a, if, if a player does a indiscretion or commits an indiscretion that is worthy of receiving a red card, then is it therefore worthy of further ban? Is that what the general rule is? If you get a red card, there has to be a further punishment. Well, I think it comes down to intent. And again, that goes back to these guys cop the same um, ban that Isaiah Parisi got. He got three games. These yeah, okay. got yep. three games. And there was clear yep. intent from what Isaiah did. It wasn't poor timing. It wasn't poor tackle technique. It was a late hit that he flipped a player and he landed on his head. There's no excuses for that. That's just everyone has said that that was just a bad example of our game. Um, these other two guys, though, uh, yeah, it wasn't. It, there was no intent there. So I don't. I personally don't think we need to be sitting these players out. I think the red card would have done enough in itself. Um, I'm just wondering if they're potentially taking in the whole um, scenario now of the players 
uh, the red card being able to be replaced and if that comes into consideration all as well. Um, You'd I, hope not. You would hope yeah. that that's not a part of it. Um, I do just want to quickly say we won't talk about this too long, but from what I've seen, the the hand the handout or the judicial process is being handled by Sansa. It's not being handled by Rugby Australia, and I find that quite confusing, considering that Rugby Australia is is doing everything else in this competition. If we've got international referees and the international referee panel looking at this comp, looking at these incidents and then dishing out um, the penalties. From the Sansa perspective, I don't think we need to be doing that. I think it should be all handled on in in house by Rugby Australia. Yeah, okay. I think that'd be an interesting one for people to get in touch with. Do you agree with the Ross Hale at Petty three weeks? Do you think three weeks is fair for something which is really just a poorly timed tackle? Um, but do we agree that a player should be getting sanctioned for those types of tackles where there is contact made with the head, but the intent isn't really there comparative to something like Izzy Parisi's tackle. So get in touch with us on any of our socials and let us hear your thoughts. Do you think it's time for us to be moving on to the Brumbies and Reds? Well, and truly. Okay, cool. So game two down at GIO stadium, down in Canberra, you had the ACT Brumbies versus the Queensland Reds. It was a 2020 super rugby AU grand final rematch. And in so many ways did this match live up to expectations. I actually think it exceeded expectations personally. So the final score was the Brumbies 38, the Reds 40. Mitch, why don't you take us through some of the key stats before we dive deep into this game? Okay, so this game saw 51% possession to the Brumbies, 49% possession to the Reds, 54% territory to the Brumbies, 46% to the Reds. Uh, uh, Five tries scored by the Brumbies, only four tries scored by the Reds, but the Reds took four penalty goals and the Brumbies only took one. Now, the Brumbies did have 100% kick percentage success, but... uh, where the Reds only had 89%, but I think that lack of taking their penalties on offer really came back to hurt them in the in the last sort of run for the game for the uh, for the final whistle. Now the interesting one that I thought about, the interesting stat that come that sticks out to me in this game is the penalties conceded by both sides. Now the Reds mm. only conceded six penalties in the whole game, which is remarkably lower than most other teams we've seen. Most other teams we've seen so far in this competition. Um, the Brumbies conceded 12 penalties, so they doubled the the penalty count of the Reds. Um, but overall, this wasn't a massive penalty penalized game. We've seen some games that are up there with nearly 30 penalties blown. So 18 all up is a pretty good effort. Um, but yeah, interesting that the Reds uh, are only giving away six penalties and the Brumbies are okay to give away 12. Yeah, there's a lot of um, positive chat that's going out towards Nick Berry at the moment, just in regards to the free, free-flowing nature of the game. And like you're pointing out, the lack of penalties, It just he, he seemed to really be trying to speed up the game. Even throughout, you could hear him saying to the guys as they're getting ready to pack the scrum, okay, you got 30 seconds. Let's get into it. Come on, guys. Water, water boys off the field. Get off, get off, get off. And he was just really onto things like that. There were a couple of times where a back was, I think uh, Lola Cio was down for cramp at one point. And oh, he's like, that well, was, no, we're playing on. That was hilarious. We, that was so good. Yeah, he we, walks over and he goes, uh, are you good? And Lola was like, I'm cramping. And he's like, all right, we're playing on. And just runs off and blows the whistle. <laughs> it's kind of like, if you're cramping, you either play on or you get off. Whereas last yeah, exactly. week I saw in the Waratahs yeah. game, there was a lot of time where the ball was not in play because the players were sort of at the back cramping. 
Yeah, and I hope that's a bit of a directive from up high to just be getting the speed of the game going. And, I mean, if it's cramp, just keep on going. And if it's a cramp of a hooker when there's a scrum coming, okay, fine. Maybe you have to wait. Or maybe just sub them off and you have to accept the sub. Um, those are the two options available for you. But anyway, about the actual game itself, it was so good. It was so, so interesting. Um, there's, oh, I'm just trying to think of where to even begin. Do you have somewhere where you want to start for the talk through of this? Oh, the Reds were just so good in this game. I was so impressed. I'm well and truly on the Reds bandwagon this year. Um, Mate, and- you are obnoxiously so. <laughs> the way in which you were trying, like, after the game to make me say that the Reds are going to win the competition was yep. outrageous. Oh, and I was giving you good factors to why they were. Like, there was... Really- no, you were giving me, like, stubborn pig-headed factors as to why oh, they were. Oh, come on. No, wait. I think we need to get <laughs> Mitch Evans on the podcast so we can both... Both Mitches just... Um, singing the Reds gospel. And right, we'll get Nick Vasiliev and- on the podcast as well and he can chat about the Brumbies for us. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not that I even care, but anyway. Um, I, in my opinion, this game kind of really ebbed and flowed. So the first, what was it, 18 minutes of the game, or 15 minutes of the game was just all, all Brumbies. So you had the first penalty in two minutes. You had the try by Samu, six minute uh, conversion in the seventh, another try in the 13th minute. It was just se- 17 nil, 15 minutes into the game. And I thought it was getting away from the Reds by that point. Yep. But then that this following period all they did was just control possession incredibly well and the Brumbies gifted them two penalties in a row that enabled them to just piggyback up the field and then from there they just took a couple of settling points they took two penalties didn't panic at the fact that they were 17 nil down and got it back to 17-6 within the next 10 or so minutes it just showed this level of maturity which has been something that I've questioned whether the Reds actually have Mm -hmm. and I think in so many ways they answered tonight that they or that night that they do that they are growing in maturity and that they might well be eating away at that kind of lead that the Brumbies have in terms of game management and making the right choices at the right time well how good was it to see that James O'Connor backed himself but also backed his team so as we got into the second half we could see that it came down to 38-33 in the 75th minute they get a penalty and James O'Connor takes it Um, the commentators at the time were saying no don't take the points, go for the corner. Like you want to try and get as close as you can. But James O'Connor backed his ability to kick that penalty, get the ball back and get back down there and score with only a few minutes left of the game. And they did that. So great, great leadership there by a new captain, someone who we weren't, we didn't even have on the radar as leadership material going into the season. Um, it's really great to see James O'Connor really stepping up and being that leader for the Reds this year. I completely agree. He had by far his best game of uh, the last two seasons, in my opinion. And he was just calm and controlled the entire time. One of the things that I really liked that the Reds were doing was that they... um. On their kickoff returns, you know how most teams will receive the ball, they'll either have a forward hit it up once or twice and then kick it for touch and it goes out, what, 30 metres out from the line, 40 metres out from the line, something like that. Yep. Um, Maybe 40 if they're lucky. What the Reds did time after time was they actually refused to kick the ball out. 
and they were trying to find grass, but at the very least, we're just getting it as far away from their line as possible. And then trusting in the line integrity and the defense to stop the Brumbies well back or very close to the halfway line and then try and get a turnover or try and force an error. And the Brumbies weren't at the most efficient or effective uh, during that game. So that tactic really, really worked for them. So they didn't allow the Brumbies to go to their rolling mall, to go to their line out, to go to the scrum. They just kept the ball in play for longer periods of time and trusted the defense. And that's the thing with the with this red side that if we look back from last year, yes, they've still got that same talent. But what we saw from this game is that they had the composure to be able to pull this off. So we saw them coming home quite strong in the final last year at GAO Stadium um, against, it was the rematch this week, but they weren't quite able to do it. The Brumbies came out firing in that game and really sort of put them under some pressure. And they kind of went missing in the middle sort of 40, 25, 40, 30 minutes of that game. And then they mm. started to make a run for it late, but they never they left themselves, they left it too long. They weren't able to, they ran out of time to be able to actually catch up to the Brumbies. That's not what we saw in this game. They stuck with them. Yes, they conceded 17 points quickly, but as you said previously, they they weren't overawed by that. They they didn't go inward. They didn't get shell-shocked and sort of fall apart and concede more points. They just got back up there, kept on, kept the scoreboard pressure on, kept the points ticking over, and then within within that, that half, they were well and truly back in the game by halftime. It was 24-16. So they weren't that far behind. Yeah. And then we hit the second half and the game completely changes. And it changes, in my opinion, because of two injuries. You had Co and Ross both go off from the front row for the Brumbies. And that brought on basically when uh, Fainga went off soon after that as well, just because it was his first game back from injury and he was shattered. You had a front row of Lloyd, Lonigan, and Holtz who they are, without a doubt, an inexperienced trio. And when you're putting them up against Taniela Tupo, um, Alex Murphy, and just incredibly this really, really good quality front row of the Reds, yeah, Dane Zander, as well. then they just got pumped. Anytime there was a scrum, that it was a penalty. It was no longer them choosing to set a scrum. It was them choosing to gain a penalty. And it just the rest of the game was the Brumbies trying to avoid scrums, the Reds doing everything they could to get those and then to capitalize from that, whether it's taking the points or whether it's getting better field position to attack further up the field. So I really am worried for the Brumbies moving forward because, well, they basically need an entire new front row because Alato is still out. Seo might be injured. McInerney's had surgery on his foot. Slipper's um, injured. Slipper's injured as well. Like that, there goes their front row. And they're not going to get them back for a couple more weeks at the very earliest. I think Alatoa's still got one or two weeks to go. He's got two weeks to go. This was his first Um, ban. Yeah, so McInerney's out. McInerney's gone and won't be back. I don't know when Slipper's going to be returning. Um, And we don't know the extent. Oh, did Slipper have surgery as well? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, it just shows you, like... I think anybody who has enough burgers or meat pies over the next week or so, get yourself down to um, get yourself down to the Brumbies training ground and see if you can have a push chat a scrum. Yeah. And put your see hand if you can up, just push a scrum. Yeah, they they're going to need it. They they seriously are going to need it. And I think those injuries may well be the thing that loses season for them. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? So they're such a forward-dominated team. Yes, they've got a really great backline that have the ability to score tries left, right, and center and, and everywhere. But without that forward dominance, they don't have that go-forward ball. And that's what we saw. Um, 
the the wing I can't remember what his name is now off the top of my head, but the the replacement winger who's also the number nine. What's his Finds name? Leliwasa. Yep, Leliwasa. He came on and scored that try in the seventy first minute, which yep. you would have thought was enough to get them over the line and, and get that um, get the victory. If, if, if it wasn't for the Reds' desire to really get revenge from last year on this Brumby side. So they still had that ability to score, but when it came down to the set piece, they just went went to pieces. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens now in the next few weeks. And the thing that I'm worried about most for the Brumbies is that the Reds are now on a really good run into the finals. Yeah, and yeah. they now have the, op- the ability to set up some really good games, get some good victories, keep those points ticking over on the table. And all they need to do is get that home final to really, really turn those screws against the Brumbies, which is what I was saying to you after this victory. (laughs) I can see if the Reds keep this trajectory going forward and they can secure that home final, it's going to be a big task for the Brumbies to come up to Suncorp Stadium and try and take the trophy off them. Yep. I agree. And I think one of the points that I'd really like to just highlight here is you mentioned that um, that try to find Zalewasa in yep. the 70, 71st minute. Well, soon after that, off the kickoff and in a resulting scrum that comes from that. So Rob Valentini, who had a fantastic game, he's having a breakout 2021 season. Um, he actually just drops the ball cold off the kickoff, off the restart from that. And then in the next couple of phases, the Reds get a penalty and James O'Connor, 75th minute, chooses to go for the penalty despite the fact that they're 38, 31 points down. They're seven points behind. And if this was... If this was Waratahs under Michael Hooper, they would have gone for the try. Yep. They would have gone for a scrum. They would have gone for a, a line out and they would have butchered it and lost possession. But he backed his team and he backed himself, took the conversion. And then there was that incredible Seru Uru break. Oh, uh, how cool um, was that? Oh, that was so good. It reminded me a lot of what Marika Korobetti often does, um, how he just picks the ball up from the base of a rock and then exploits a gap in the pillar of the defensive ruck. It's almost like, yeah, it's almost like those defenders got to the ruck, the breakdown and sort of switched off and were like, okay, I'm here. I'll wait for the half. I'm going to spread wide. I'm going to spread wide. And they'll kick it out. And next minute, Uru just picks the ball up and he's off and he's, and he runs like 40, 50 meters. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was like 140 meters and he dived untouched (laughs) under the posts. No, that's probably what he was thinking in his dreams. As soon as he picked up the ball and took those first couple of steps. Um, uh, just the, uh, but then what that led to, what that led to was the pressure up at the Brumbies end of the field and then giving that final opportunity for that incredible play by Pattaya and Paisami, well, Paisami and Pattaya to combine for that final try. Now, Jordan Pattaya had had a really poor game, in my opinion. He needs to work on ball control and handling like the fact that he loses the spills the ball so many times in possession is just outrageous. And he often puts the ball down way too much for my liking, but his ability to get hands to that ball, which had a wicked bounce, that grubber kick um, was just incredible. And I don't think that saved everything that he did wrong in that game, but it was an awesome moment for a young guy. And I hope that gives him a lot of confidence moving into future weeks. Well, a lot of that goes to Paisami for calling it and yeah. sticking yep. with that play, knowing where they are on the field, where the game is currently falling. Massive. And the massive. team to back him as well. Yeah, the team massive, to back him guts. for that. 
Yep. You mentioned before how you said you said it was so good to see, and we spoke about it. Both of us spoke about it. The leadership from James O'Connor, and that was one thing that was really interesting in the post-match um, interviews that they had with the players, was that James O'Connor was just so settled throughout the game, and the messages that he was saying to his players was relax, calm down. There's plenty of footy to be played. We've got so yep. much time to go. When they found themselves 17 points down, that was the message he was giving the team. Calm down, yep. boys. It's all right. Trust in the system. There's plenty of footy to be played. Even yep. in those last sort of six or seven minutes of the game, when they're really trailing, they're close, but time is ticking over. He's still relaxed and he's telling them, it's all right, calm down. There's still plenty of footy to be played. It's almost as if he knew that something like this was going to happen, that they were going to be, and he just trusted in the system so well that they were going to be able to pull this out of the bag. And it's just so great to see that there was that that confidence there because that is something that this red side, we had doubts about leading into this competition, that maybe they weren't able to see out those tight games. Um, and so this was the real, the first challenge that they had this year. And I've, I've just really impressed with them. I've been watching a bunch of the Save Your World videos up on YouTube. <laughs> You're getting um, into it, are you? So, um, oh, no, I'm not really. But the, it's just fascinating to see because they, they basically, for those who don't know, Save Your World is the organization that worked with James O'Connor um, when he was over in the UK playing for sale. And he, they are the ones that he credits for the remarkable personal transformation that he has undergone in the last... 18, 24 months or 24, 36 months. And basically they, the, these videos are just showing him when he's doing his rehab from ankle surgery whilst he was up at sale and just talking through a whole bunch of ways in which he can control his emotions, take the initiative uh, within his life. It's, it's really fascinating. There's so much of it that I'm like, what the heck are you guys doing here when they're talking about the feeling the vibrations of the earth through your feet? I'm like, what is going on here? But at the same time, you look at who he is now as a person, as a man and as a rugby player, and you compare it to who he was three or four years ago at Toulon getting done for co- attempting to buy cocaine with Ali Williams. It, there's just, they're just different people. Yeah. And I'm so happy for him and for the Reds that with Liam Wright's injury, he being such a charismatic figure for the club, you've got a person like James O'Connor that's able to step into that step into that void. And it's really seems to be doing wonders for him as a player as well. Yeah. And I, I don't want to take anything away from Liam Wright because we love him as a player. We love him yeah, as a yeah, captain. Yeah, He's a great friend yep. of the pod, but I would think it's going to be very difficult for him to come back into this team and take that captaincy back. I think James O'Connor has really showed in this game, if not the last few games that he's really able to settle this team down calm them and lead them really well when things are going against them. Um, Maybe we didn't quite see that from uh, Liam Wright in the last few years. And that's to be expected. He's a younger player. He's a younger captain. Um, Interesting to see what happens moving forward. I don't want to be Brad Thorne. Maybe you look at a club captain and an on-field captain arrangement. Sort of like the Waratahs are doing with Jake Gordon. Yeah. 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 Something like that. Got to throw them Um, in here. Every every <laughs> every game we have to throw some Tars reference in there. Ah, oh, definitely. That's two for you tonight, mate. You cut off. I know. You're done. Oh, man. Um, I what is there anything else you want to jump into for this game? I mean, I've I've hit a lot of the talking points that I wanted to speak to. But yeah, is there anything just, you want to jump into? I have questions around the Brumbies' um, decision around penalties. They are, they were okay to give away so many penalties in this game, mm. particularly more so than the Reds and. I haven't actually gone back and compared to where they gave a lot of those penalties away, but 
it seemed to me when I was watching the game that they were okay to do that in their own 22. And that's something that comes from similar to sort of the Crusaders style of play that they're so eager in defense that they want to get up and in your face, either go so hard at the ruck that they've got hands or just get off the the line so quickly to shut down any play that they're happy with those 50, 50 opportunities to give away a penalty. Um, particularly in their red zone there because they have the, the, the ability to get back up the other end and score points, particularly through their, their mall. So I'm just wondering if maybe that's something that needs to be looked at for the Brumbies moving forward now that they don't have that mauling. Um, well, you'd think that the loss of their front row will affect their ability to set up some malls moving forward, that they don't have that attacking weapon at the scrum and the line out was before. Maybe they need to start looking at their defense to try and not give away so many penalties in the red zone. Yeah, I, I would be agreeing. They they'll, they're going to have to make a pretty significant shift in the way that they're playing. I mean, they still got Falau Falengo, who's their first choice um, hooker, but and and Nos Lonigan has been doing a really good job as well. So he's definitely a handy replacement for them. But it's just going to be really difficult for them um, moving forward because that they're. they're play has been so based upon forward dominance they don't have that anymore where are they going to go how are they going to adjust and that's a really big challenge for dan mckellar and laurie fisher and i'm keen to see how they bounce back from it they've got the bye this week so that gives them an opportunity to um kind of relax and to uh, just just look at their systems and what needs to be changed for the upcoming week yeah lovely now let's move on into our honorable mentions all right. Uh, do you want to jump in first whilst I solidify what I'm thinking for this? I've actually got two players here. So Oh, what? Got I know. Two? I know. I, I could actually say 15 because the Reds just did so well in this game, but I won't. Uh, my first, I'll go with my first one. And if your person isn't, like, I don't know who you're going to say. So if it's, it's fine, the same it's fine. person, go. I'll go second. Um, but my yep. first honorable mention goes to Suliasu Vunavalu. This was his first. Really? Yeah. This was his first game starting uh, for the Reds from his transition to from league into union. Now, I'm not just saying he was brilliant because he scored a try, but my honorable mention goes to his defense, his effort in defense. Um, that is one thing that is very, very different defending in union than it is to defending in league. And he didn't look out of place in in the defensive line. If you go back and have a look, actually, and it was mentioned brief, briefly at halftime in the analysis that they were actually defending him out of position. So he wasn't defending the, the wing channel. He was actually defending that first ruck position, um, sort of the first pillar in defense. And James O'Connor was shifting into the wing. Now, mm-hmm. that's a very difficult position to defend. And yes, he did let one try through with Flaufanger through that mall. He came through his channel and scored. But twice, two times before that, he was able to get from that position, get off his line, drift across in defense and do a saving tackle out wide in the wider channels, covering up the ball and saving a try. So I was really impressed to see that he still had the game awareness and the, I guess, union instincts to be comfortable in that position defending out of position, but also defending in, in a foreign game that he hasn't played for a few years. Um, I was just really impressed with that. If we look at sort of Israel Falau, he took a number of months to be able to really transition into defense and have an impact. Yes, he was great in attack, but his defense took a long time to, to sort of come through. And I just thought Vunovalu did really well to be able to defend in his first start, his second game of union um, in a 
clutch game, big game. I was really impressed with him. Okay. I hear what you're saying. I mean, I disagree with it. I didn't think he was particularly good in defense. I mean, you look at the Pete Samu try, the second Pete Samu try. Um, it's his fault that that try happens because James O'Connor is coming out on Nick White and Nick White double pumps, draws Vinavalu in, and Vinavalu should have stayed out on Samu yeah. and then push him into touch. So yeah, that's just right. a basic one but as he, a winger. He should first, have stayed on his man. In the first half, he saves about three tries. Sure. Okay. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> that's okay. I also was ra- rating some of the Reds players. Um, I'm going to do one that's a bit of a combination. I'm going to say honorable mention to the goal kickers. Okay. Because James O'Connor kicked eight of nine and Noah Lolasio scored six of six. And Lolasio's kicking last year wasn't particularly strong, but often because he'd be getting, having to convert him from a touchline after line out drives would go over. Um, so he has obviously been working on it in the off season. And I'm just been really impressed by the quality of kicking overall. I mean, prior to this week, Matt Tamu's kicking had been absolutely brilliant. And it's just, Will Harrison is a gun as we're aware. The, the weaker team is probably the force. Ian Pryor isn't a particularly good kicker and neither is um, McIntyre either. But overall, I was really, really happy with the quality of kicking at sticks. It's been something that hasn't been a particular area of focus for the Australian teams mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. But it seems to be developing and you just want to be able to take points on offer in tight games. Like when, when we get to the um, Trans-Tasman competition, we need to take every point on offer against some of the better teams like the Crusaders and the Blues. Blues. Yeah. And yeah, you, you, we're going to have to do that. And it seems that the teams have recognised that kicking for sticks is something that actually is important. And we're going to make sure our players can do it at about like a 85, 90% capacity and isn't interesting how it it shifts and changes like Tamua, as you said has been so good in the last few weeks and then this week he was off but james o'connor came up and knocked over um 95 of of his yep. and yep. lalesio knocked over all of his so mm. yeah it's good to see that we've got some depth there as well agreed agreed who was your next point uh look I was going to say James O'Connor, but we've already talked about him heaps. I don't okay. think we can get away without saying... Actually, I'll let you say your final one. My final one's Taniel Tupo. Yeah, good. That's what I was going good. to say. Yes. So, Taniel Tupo proved so instrumental in this game. And I don't think going into it, Brad Thorne expected him to play 80 minutes. But once the game started to progress and he saw that the Brumbies had lost their front row and effectively lost their ability to scrummage there was no point taking Neller off because from that point, he got every single penalty from those scrums. He just absolutely tore them to shreds. And 80 minutes from the, from Taniel Tupo is a massive effort. And he wasn't just there to scrummage either. He was still making hit-ups. He was still scoring tries. He was still making hits in the centers. So massive performance by Taniela. And I'm just so glad that we've got him in Australian rugby because I would not want to be going up against him in, if he was playing for the All Blacks. I 100% agree. He's just a scary human being. Like as, the, as a specimen of a human being, he is impressive and intimidating. Um, mate, I think we should probably move on because we've got mm-hmm. a couple of other things we want to talk about before we finish up with the pod. Let's go. All right. Now we move to the locker room segment where we will answer your questions. So if you do have any questions for us, look out for our posts midweek. We do put them out generally on a Sunday night. So give us a like and a follow. You'll be able to answer or ask your questions 
on our socials. So the first question comes to us from Jung Ma and he asks, why is Bataya not killing it? Last try aside. Because he has no hands. That's why. He, he just can't catch the ball or hold on to the ball. That's, that's the basic reason. Um, a more serious reason would be I am not confident that maybe 13 is the best position for him. I'm wondering if he actually should be one of the back three and should be looking to inject himself a little bit more uh, at, at specific times to get the breaks away. I'm just not convinced that he's kind of a heavy traffic runner like he's required at number 13. He also has been given away a few penalties by not rolling properly in a tackle in 13-2. I just, I'm not sure if 13 is the right position for him. And I know he played there for the Wallabies, but I'm not sure if I think it's the right position for the Wallabies either. Yeah, well, that's interesting. That's an interesting point you make there. Maybe that's why he's playing 13, because you would think that he would be playing on the wing. But I personally think maybe it's around his loss of confidence. We saw that he had some big injuries last year in the last few years. So I think mentally he might be suffering from that thinking that if he goes into a big contact, this might be another one where he loses or gets another injury. So for me, maybe that's something in the, in the back of his mind that's making him not really play to his full potential at the moment, but we can't really say. Um, maybe he just needs a long off season. Yeah, to exactly. Rest to recuperate and have some time away. Cause this was a really short off season. Yeah. And I mean, he's still a young guy, so he's probably come into this setup a lot earlier than, um, he was probably expecting to. So, yeah, I guess that's. we'll see what happens. Uh, move on to our next one. This one comes from Chris Hannon. He asks, should the Waratahs take a leaf out of the Reds book and pick and stick with the coach and let him build? Yes. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Very much so. Look, we, we genuinely don't need to say much more than that. Yeah. Yes, they should. And if they get rid of Rob Penny mid-season, I would seriously consider just burning my membership because I'll be so pissed <laughs> off. Um, which my membership, which only arrived after round three of the season, I'll just put that out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's essentially they, useless anyway. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we won't go into that. We won't go into that. We don't need it. Um, oh God. Anyway. Yeah. So um, yes, they definitely should. And they should be keeping him there for at least another 12 months after this season as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't think changing a coach now is going to get any results. And um, it doesn't. It hasn't worked in the past. I don't know why they would even contemplate doing that. But I will say, as a very loyal Waratahs fan, I'm sitting here in my new Heritage jersey. If they do get rid of Rob Penny this year and br- try and bring in someone else, Michael Checker has been discussed. I am finding it very difficult not to put my allegiance behind the Reds full time. Um, they're doing some very good <laughs> things up there. So I'm on the edge there, Waratahs. This is your warning. Um, yep. And let's you just... know how much they listen to us. This is exactly Stead, steady the ship, guys, because you're going to be losing fans by the droves if you do continue what you're doing. Um, let's move on to the next one. So Jason Sherman asks, why are the Rebels ignoring Carter Gordon, who they poached from the Reds? He's not even been on the bench. And while Tamu is as serviceable as 10, he's a world-class 12. See, I would actually counter and say that Tamua is not serviceable as a 10. I think he's a very good 10. Uh, he may well be a world-class 12. I'm not sure if he's world-class in any position at the point this point in time. But regardless, I, I hear the point you're making, that he's a better 12 than he is a 10. And I would agree with that in general. I don't think that Hodge is particularly good at 12, I think he's a 15. And if he's not a 15, he's on the bench as a utility cover. And Tom Pinkers has been doing really well. I think if they're going to, if if they are going to be moving to Moore, then yeah, Carter Gordon comes in. I get that. 
that that would make sense to me. But at the moment, they see Tamua as an out-and-out 10, and they're trying to keep Reese Hodge with his experience and his boot in the, on the field. And Tom Pincus is playing so well at 15 that you can't take Pincus out either. So I don't know. It's a really tough question to answer when we aren't obviously the Rebels coaching staff. But my guess is, is that Tamua has been doing so well at 10 that Gordon's not even getting a look in. Yeah, I just wonder if it comes down to um, Carter Gordon's experience and whether they're not quite sure if they want to lose the experience that, that Tamua brings at 10 for what Gordon brings um, and that it may affect the back line adversely too much by shifting Gordon in and shifting Tamua out to 12. But I could, as Jason says, I, can very, I could see um, a very successful back line being Gordon at 10, Tamua at 12 and... Reese Hodge at fifteen, I, yep, I and and Pincus being your utility back for the on the bench coming off the bench, so I, mm. I could see it happening. Maybe it's just combinations at the moment. He hasn't had a whole lot of time with the Rebels yet. They've had a very disrupted preseason. Maybe they just and maybe they're just waiting for a game. We haven't seen them actually get the victories yet. So last week was their first victory in this competition. To be competitive, they need to be up there and getting those victories every week. So maybe when they can, in this second half of the season, when they can come up against potentially the Force again or this week against the Waratahs, I mean, that's a pretty, that's a easy buy, uh, easy bonus point win for any team in this competition at the moment. But this is a sort of week that we could see them potentially bringing in Gordon and, and trying those combinations out. Yep. We shall see. Um, next question comes to us from Jason Breeze. And he, uh, he says, first of all, love the podcast. Well, thanks for that, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. Love to hear it. Um, will we see trans-Tasman rugby and would the Reds and Brumbies beat the Kiwi teams? And he also asked thoughts on stand coverage as well. He thinks it's excellent. Uh, okay. At this point in time, yeah, I think we will see trans-Tasman rugby. Wouldn't surprise me if it's like a two-stage bubble arrangement or something like that, where all the New Zealand teams come over, play a couple of rounds here, then we play a few rounds back in New Zealand. Uh, the Reds and the Brumbies would beat, would have a good chance of beating the Kiwi teams, particularly, well, they'll beat the Chiefs. You would hope that they're able to beat the Canes and the Highlanders, who are all pretty weak at this point in time. Oh, Highlanders have been going all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the cane, you know what? The canes have been the ones that have been quite disappointing for yep. my mind. Uh, but the obvious challenges are going to be the Crusaders, who are just insanely good and consistent as always, and the Blues, who have really carried on from last year and are quite, quite impressive this year. So they would, in my mind, they're going to struggle against the Satyrs and the Blues, but should be capable of beating the other three teams. I'm not saying they will, but they're capable of doing it. And it just depends on how luck falls on a day. Yeah. I mean, I, I really do hope we see this trans-Tasman tournament go ahead. Um, I would love to see some of the Aussie teams go up against the Kiwis. There's some teams there as well that I don't want to see up against a Kiwi side. And that's particularly <laughs> the Waratahs because Tars we don't need another cricket score. But um, in all seriousness, yeah, I really do think that the Brums and Rebels can push some of these Kiwi sides this year. They're showing that they're capable of playing some really good footy. And even the Rebels, the Rebels have shown that they're able to keep with teams. So maybe, maybe they can. I, I could definitely see them getting over some of the the lower teams on the table. I don't really see anyone coming close to the Crusaders at the moment. I think the Crusaders could probably beat the Wallabies. Um and yeah, a lot of international teams, they're just that good. But 
Yeah, I'd love to see it. Um, if we shift over to the second part of the question, yes, we're both loving what Stan's doing so far. It's just a brush of fresh, fresh air. The analysis is new. It's upbeat. It's just a, a, just a new sound and it's a new something new to see on the TV and it's just, it's so good. Very good. I've been super impressed. I'm absolutely loving the analysis that is coming from all the all the pundits that are there. Um, I put this out on Twitter and actually got a lot of traction on it, which was really, really gratifying until I realized I'd spelled Alana Fergus's name. <laughs> and then my heart, I just cringed and shriveled into a wreck and husk of a human being, especially when she then replied later. Um, but I've been super, super impressed with Alana Ferguson, just because I didn't really know her prior to her joining the team. And the way that she speaks with such confidence such clarity and such insight is really, really impressive, particularly the way in which I really like the transitions after the analysis back to back to the couch or back to the main desk. And she's kind of leading the boys around and showing them where to go. She's the one taking the direction there and looks to be more of the kind of more professional and comfortable than the vast majority of the other pundits is there. And I think that's just a huge credit to her. Um, I love the female representation in the commentary panel with Ros Kelly and Alana Ferguson. And I actually wish there was just that little bit more as well, just to provide some more um, different voices. But overall, I've really, really enjoyed what the Stan commentary team are doing. And I'm really, really happy with the quality of the coverage overall. Yeah, and I'm really loving the banter between them as well. I really love how Alana yeah. gives it to the guys on the panel, and then, um, and, and yeah, and they can they all just give it to each other. Goog is just absolutely ripping anyone to shreds. He just doesn't seem to care. He just will rip anyone down, um, which is great <laughs> to see. And yeah, like you, your point last week, I thought it was really good on Rugby Heaven this week that we had one of the Wallaroos players on there as well, and that brought another voice to the to the to the team. Um, I hope we see more in the future. They have announced this week that Sonny Bill Williams is joining the team, something yeah. I haven't been massively excited about in the offseason, but it'll be interesting to see what he brings and how it's used. Um, I would imagine more so in the analysis of the New Zealand games, maybe earlier on, more so than Super Rugby AU, particularly because he's going to be working with Channel 9 for the NRL as well. But I guess we'll see what happens moving forward. Um, our last question comes to us from Chris Lamb, and he asked, are the Reds now the legitimate contenders for the title, or will they continue to carry underdog status against the Brums leading into the tail end of the season? So I know what you want me to say here, so I'm deliberately not going to say it. Good. No, I... that's good. <laughs> so let's not have this one carry on for too long, yep. but I think that... A lot of it depends upon the Brumbies' performance in the next uh, next one or two games. Now, that is because we need to see how they bounce back with the front row issues that they're having. If they're able to stabilise their front rows or get some early returns from injuries, which I don't think are possible based on the nature of the injuries that they have, I think they should deservedly still hold the um, favourite status. But if... CO is out for a lengthy period of time, um, particularly. He's really the only one that's a maybe person that can come back. But if CO is out for a lengthy period of time, and I think it was um, Lloyd as well who went, no, Ross who went off injured. If they're both injured for a few weeks, then the Reds take over in pole position. Uh, it just depends on those two injuries for my mind. Yeah, and I just think the the Brumby, uh, the Reds, sorry, are in the perfect position moving into the second half of this competition. They will take so much confidence out of this win. They said earlier in the week that they were going down to Canberra. They were making it personal. They were taking the defeat last year personally, and they were going down there with a point to prove. And what better point than sealing the victory in the last dying minutes of the game? 
Um, so good for this young team. Such a good uh, moment in their development. I think they've got the world ahead of them right now. So they have. They're in the best position because they've got the run home. The rebel. The Brumbies now have to go up to Cam uh, to Brisbane to play the Reds again before the end of the season. And as we saw last year, when the Brumbies came back up to to Brisbane, they got well and truly trounced by the Reds. They got 40 points put on them. So um, if they could do that again, there's no reason why the Reds can't then secure a home final. And I just don't see anyone being able to take the trophy off them. Okay. Good thoughts. Cool. Well, I think that leads us to the end of the locker room section. So thank you everyone for sending your questions in. And if you have anything that comes up in the next week, please do send them our way because we love to answer them on the pod. Let's move into our previews for round five. All right, finishing off the pod, we are just going to go through quickly our previews for round five of the Super Rugby AU, and then I think it's round four of Super Rugby Aotearoa. So game one will be Melbourne Rebels versus the Waratahs. So down in Melbourne, first game that the Melbourne Rebels will have played for over 12 months because they had to spend all of last season away from home. I think that the Rebels are going to win. I think that the Waratahs are going to show improvement, but we're still going to see a fairly handy win from the Rebels. So I'd be going by 15 at home. Rebs by 15. 15. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm very similar to your thoughts on that. I just, this is the first home game for the Rebels in two years. It's been a long time since playing in front of their friends and family. This Waratahs team's at the lowest point right now. I don't think they're going to be up for a victory away from home against the Rebels. The Rebels have shown that they're capable of sticking with the top teams and, and pushing them right through to the end. Um, I don't see this going any other way but the Rebels, and I'm going to pick them by 10. Good call. Okay, game two for the AU comp is the Reds versus the Force up in Brisbane. I'm going to be picking the Reds. I, I'm guessing you'll be picking the Reds as well. How much are you going by? I'm going Reds by 20. I just think that they have, they have a big win in them. Um, they've been building for a few weeks now and this Western Force side, whilst they have been playing quite well in the last few weeks, they got their first victory last week against the Waratahs. I just don't think they bring enough in attack um, or defense to really challenge the the side that this Reds, or the bats that these Reds have. So I really think that the Reds are just going to run around with this one. So I'm going 20. Yeah, sure. I'm going to go Reds by 12. I think the Western Force drag people into a dogfight where they aren't able to play a natural game or express themselves in a way they want. So I don't. I think the Reds will win comfortably, but I just don't think it's going to be a soccer score or anything like that. Uh, jumping across the Dutch now to New Zealand, and you've got game one with the Hurricanes versus the Chiefs. A large part of me wants to pick the Chiefs so they can actually win a game, um, but perhaps maybe that's why I shouldn't pick them, and that's why I should pick the Canes. So I'm going to go the Canes by... 15 over the luckless Chiefs. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the Chiefs have had some pretty uh, hard competition so far. They did show some promise last week against the, the Crusaders and there was some hard calls made against them. But this Hurricane side has also got some talent there that really needs to start firing. So I just think at home they're going to be hard to beat. So I'm going to go with the Canes by 10. All right. And we move to the... Probably the round of both, um, the match of the round for both competitions really is the Blues versus the Crusaders because it's the two best teams in New Zealand competition. Probably 
close to the Crusaders, definitely the best team across both comps and the Blues are up there with the Brumbies and the Reds. So I really am keen for the Blues to just knock the Crusaders off their pedestal just a little bit. So I am going to be picking the Blues by five more because I want it to happen rather than I think it's going to happen. (laughs) I love your optimism. Um, I just don't see this Crusaders team coming, anyone coming closer than this year. Uh, the Blues, yes, they've been good. They are playing at home, but really the Crusaders are just that step ahead. So I don't see this going any other way, but the Crusaders by seven. Ooh, okay, cool. Seven, nice and close. Okay, well, I think, team, we're going to finish it there. It's been a really good pod. Got to talk about some great rugby. Thank you for joining us for this. Um, Mitch, any final thoughts you want to say before we finish up? No, thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, Another good week of rugby. Waratahs are back up this week, so we'll probably be joining you next week and licking our wounds from another heavy defeat to the (laughs) Rebels. But um, we'll keep in there. We'll keep going. And the Reds are doing really well, so I'm happy for that. All right, let's leave it there. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.